Just thought I, we'd give you a quick note to let you know that we're going to be getting together uh, with a little bit of a Grace on Tap road trip at Brewery Becker in Brighton, Michigan on March the 30th. That's Thursday, March the 30th at 7.30. For further information, check us out at Facebook, Grace on Tap Podcast, or you can see our, our website, graceontap-podcast.com, or shoot us a note, graceontap.podcast at gmail.com. Hope to see you there. Welcome to Grace on Tap. I'm Mike Yeagley. And I am Evan Gertner. Uh, today's episode is going to be about the, um, the, the proceedings at Augsburg in 1518 <laughs> as Cardinal Cajetan and Luther meet together to kind of, uh, as Cajetan would figure it, give Luther a fair hearing. Fa- fa- a fair and fatherly hearing. A fair and fatherly hearing. Our beer today for this episode is Great Lakes Brewing Company, Edmund Fitzgerald Porter. And this is our first non-Michigan beer we have featured in our podcast. This one is from Cleveland. So we're still... We're with, still yeah, we're still in the Great Lakes region. We're still in the Great Lakes. We're, we haven't reached out to California yet. Well, nowhere near California. There's, there's plenty of good beer, beer between here and California. So... So the Pope's representative, Cardinal Cajetan, is in Augsburg. He's meeting with Emperor Maximilian, the seven electors, who will elect the next emperor when Maximilian dies. Now, wait wait a second. Now, is it is it Cajetan or Cajetan? So Cajetan, Cajetan, and then what was the other one we had? I had, uh, well, there, I had Cajetan. Cajetan. I had Cajetan. Right. And, and now we're thinking maybe it's Cajetan. Kajutin. So the, the J is pronounced like an S-H almost, right? Yeah. And now if you are listening and you have better pronunciation, we're looking for an email from you at graceontap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And what, what we need is not just, don't just give us phonetics because we can get that, but that's what we need is somebody to actually say it right. And give us an us, audio recording, an audio right? audio recording. That's what we need. So graceontap.podcast at gmail.com. Okay. Okay. So... So the Cajetan, uh, I'm going to say Cajetan is there in Augsburg. He's hanging out with the seven electors. Uh, and really the, the Holy Roman Empire is mostly Germany at this point. And so they're trying to figure out, uh, you know, the, the Holy Roman Emperor is working with the German dukes and electors and they're trying to figure out what to do with the Turks. And there's all sorts of different things going on there. But Cajetan has this sidebar discussion after the diet ends. It looks like after the diet ends, he, he gets together with uh with with luther and he has this this discussion basically because frederick the wise was able to maneuver to there were all these calls for luther's arrest and to have him sent to rome but now frederick the wise does not want luther to go to rome uh that would weaken the power of germany to be able to have authority over its own problems and it would also send luther into enemy territory so frederick the wise has been able to work with uh, Cardinal Cajetan, and convince them to have a local hearing. Right. And, and it's a local hearing with with Cardinal Cajetan, Cajetan, and they're going to be just a fatherly hearing. The whole idea is that this we're going to work this out sort of amongst friends is the idea at this moment. Now, Luther thinks it's maybe going to be a hearing where he will be given instructions on where he has erred. Now, Cajetan, on the other hand, thinks the only thing I have to do in this meeting is to get Luther to recant. Right. And so Cajetan is in there with the agenda 
get Luther to recant. Luther is coming to the meeting to hear where he has erred and answer those errors with scripture. Luther believes it will be a dialogue about the scriptures. Cayetan believes, I get this guy to recant and I get to go home. Right, right. Now, actually, according to Luther, I was looking at Luther's, um, he wrote up basically a report out after after the the, the the proceedings at Augsburg, he he writes up this report out saying what happened there. And what he reports is that the, the Cajetan had three things he was looking for. The, the first thing was to have Luther retract his errors. The second thing was he wanted Luther to promise to avoid making the same mistakes in the future. And the third thing was he wanted Luther to prom- promise to abstain from doing anything that might upset the church. So he's got these, you know, that's that's Cajetan's, according to Luther, that's Cajetan's marching orders as he's walking into this. And Cajetan's instruction, that last one, Luther to abstain from doing anything that might upset the church, Luther really is concerned. He doesn't want to be schismatic. He doesn't want to upset the church. But he does want to answer error with the truth of Scripture. And the scandal of how to... Uh, Handle the situation when the gospel is being hidden must always be addressed. Philip Melanchthon is going to deal with that in 1521 with the things that he writes, the local communius, where he is going to say, whenever the scandal of the gospel is at stake, we must speak up. And so Luther is not going to just try to upset the church. His goal is not to be this annoying past that just upsets people to upset people. And so Luther will agree to abstain from doing anything that might upset the church. But he can't he can't retract what he's saying without being shown where he's in error. And he's not going to stop advocating for the gospel. So while he says he's not going to do anything to abstain, uh, do anything that might upset the church, he still is going to seek out the truth. So he kind of says, I'm not going to hurt the church. But on the other hand, I am going to advocate for the gospel. For him, those aren't opposites. Uh, well, and absolutely, absolutely. Now, now, so Luther walks in. I guess Luther's there, and and the first thing that happens is Luther is told, "Don't meet with Cajetan." Yeah. So Frederick the Wise has given Luther some lawyers to help him, and they're all saying, "Don't meet right away." And the thought is that we need to get some letters of protection. Say Cajetan says, yes, we can meet. I'm not going to be a bad guy. Eh, They don't quite believe him. They want it written down. And so for three days, there's no meetings between Cajetan. Cajetan's kind of just waiting in a room. And Luther might even just be in the room down the hall. They're both waiting to talk, but they won't meet together until the letters of protection are secured. Once the letters of protection are secured, we have our first meeting. And and the meeting starts out, I'm going to say it starts out relatively well. Cajetan actually does what he says he's going to do. He, you know, By Luther's own account, he says, uh, Luther says, I was received by the most reverend Lord Cardinal Legate. Now, Legate is basically um, a representative. Uh, both graciously and with almost too much respect, for he is a man who is in all respects different from those extremely harsh bloodhounds who track down monks among us. So he's he's actually saying, you know, Cajetan was doing what he what he said he was going to do. He's he's actually fatherly when Luther walks in the door. But things didn't stay too stay friendly for too long, partly because Luther doesn't just bow down right away. Well, and Cajetan's hands are tied, right? He's been given instructions by the Pope that you know you the you need to get this guy to retract everything he said. 
And and Cajetan isn't really given the kind of latitude to to engage in a theological discussion with Luther. He's just told, shut the guy up. And Luther responds by asking for an education on his heir. At this point, even this early in the dispute, we can see that the issue of the scriptures is going to come to light. Right. That Luther wants this discussion to circle around the scriptures and not just papal law. Right, right. And so, so Cajetan comes forward and he, ha- he picks out two areas that he's really, really interested in discussing. There are of the 95 theses, he's looking at the 95 theses, he understands the 95 theses, and he, he zeroes in on two of them. The most important one that he's going after is the 58th theses. And it's interesting because Luther, in his explanation of the 95 theses, really focuses on that 58 theses also. I think Luther spends something like 16... The, the, the explanation of the 95 theses is somewhere around 170 pages, something like this, and Luther spends like almost 17 pages, 16, 17 pages, just talking about the 58 theses. So what's the 58 theses about? So the 58 thesis, this is the 58 thesis. Luther writes, Nor are they the merits of Christ and the saints, for even without the Pope... The latter always work grace for the inner man, and the cross, death, and hell for the outer man. So, so what is they? They is the, actually, that's the treasury of merit, right? That, right. That's referencing back to the 57th Theses. So this is kind of how the Theses were written. Remember, we may think of maybe some nice article or an, a narrative or something like that. There are a series of sentences that build off the previous one. So the 57th was, indulgences are not temporal treasuries is certainly clear, for many indulgent sellers do not distribute them freely, but only gather them, nor are they the merit. So the merit, the indulgences and the treasury, this is what we're talking about. And what is the treasury of merits upon which indulgences are distributed? What is the authority to give an indulgence? The Pope uh, is... Representatives are selling the indulgences, saying that have this indulgence and it will be beneficial to you because it is coming from the treasury of merit. Right. And so they're saying that that what we're selling you are good works that are in our treasury. We have the tre- treasury of merit is another way of treasury of good works that are in the in the bank that the that the Pope controls. And what we're selling you are the extra what's left over, the extra good works that are available for us to sell to whoever we want. So if someone is really good and they're better than they need to be, those extra good works would get deposited in the treasury of merit. Right. Now, the treasury of merit, according to Luther's understanding of the treasury of merit, uh, is that it has two inputs. There, There are two ways that the treasury of merit is built up. The first way is there are extra good works from Jesus Christ, and then the second way is that there are extra good works from the saints. The saints do all these extra good works that sort of build up over 1,500 years, and those are just sitting there for the Pope to give away. And Cajetan, quickly, as much as I read that 58th thesis, and you might have gone, well, what is that about? Cajetan figures out very quickly that the 58th thesis is an attack on the authority of the church to distribute good works. Right, right. And so Cajetan, again, I, 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 I'm going to say a lot of good things about Cajetan because he's a very, very sharp guy. And he sees immediately 
what the problem is and and so he goes after that 58 theses and he's you know that that is really the core one one of the cores of what luther's problem with the church is so luther attacks the concept that there are extra merits from the saints now mike why it seems like if there's a good guy and he does more good stuff than is needed what happens to all of the rest of the good stuff he's done well this is sort of where luther gets into this with it's that the idea of the depravity of man luther's view on on how bad we are to begin with is is so much greater than anything that the standard catholic thinks of at that time that's the first thing well the the argument that there is just from scripture and the church fathers and augustine no evidence for this concept of the treasury of merit now here is something to consider if there is someone who has done enough good things that they have good merit to share around, that really means they didn't need Jesus. Right, right. Now let's take a moment and go back to the theology of the cross. What the, what Luther says in the theology of the cross is that as our good works increase, our sin becomes just as dangerous, actually more dangerous because it becomes more subtle. And if we start to rely on our good works as our comfort and confidence in our relationship to God, then those good works have become a sin themselves. Right. And so now we're getting into this at the very core of the difference between Luther and, and the Pope, and, and we'll say the Roman Church. So the, the, when we look at the treasury of merits, what, what, what Luther is seeing is that the, the saints don't have any extra that, that they can give up. They're, they're saying, what Luther says is that as they continue to do all these good works, their sin actually becomes just as bad as it ever was. It's just more subtle. And now Luther's not going to deny that there are saints, but for him, a saint is someone who through their life was able to give evidence and witness to the grace of God at work in their life. That in the midst of their sin, they were yet witnesses to how God's grace redeems us. So Luther will not reject the idea of a saint, but how they become saints. Well, if they're saints through their good works, then maybe the treasury of merit may make some sense. But if they're a saint through the good work of Christ, then the treasury is only going to be the good works of Christ. So this gets us now to the second input to the treasury of merit if i if i can just take one one more point i'd like to make before we move on from that that first part of the treasury of merit the saints input into the treasury of merit luther spends a lot of time in his explanation of the 95 theses talking about giving biblical examples where the saints have no extra merits where Mm -hmm. we are and it goes on and on like i said almost 16 17 pages where he's going on and talking about how far short we fall. And that's a great example, Mike, of how when Luther advances an argument, he doesn't just throw out kind of a, a long philosophical string of sentences and then said, believe me. Right. You know, his notion of establishing why the church must change isn't just, well, I think it's a bad idea. He references scripture over and over and over again to show that those people we would identify as the saints from the scriptures, they're all flawed. They're all filled with sin just as you and I are. What made them redeemed and wonderful in the eyes of God was the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Right, right. 
So let's talk about the mercy and grace of Jesus, or the merits, the merits of Jesus Christ that are also supposedly overflowing in the in the treasury of merit that the that the Pope can give away. Now, the this is going to be a much more complex discussion because both Luther and Cajetan both agree that Christ's merits are are extraordinary they're they're the jesus is a great guy and he's got amazing (laughs) things and it's through christ that there is a treasury of the church but now christ is not the treasury of indulgences right and so this might seem like a finer distinction but if it's a treasury of indulgence that means that something can be distributed by the pope or not right but if it's just the free grace and mercy of christ then the authority to do it is inherent in who God is, not in who the Pope is. Now, the, here Luther really focuses on the office of the keys. And so going to bring everybody up to speed on what the office of the keys are. And this goes back to the Bible where, where uh, Christ says to Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So... Here, this is a promise that's given uh, by Christ to Peter when Peter makes confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And and upon this confession, uh, and and I will build my church. So there you've got that. And then later, as um, Peter and the disciples are given the breath of the Holy Spirit, and, and Peter is there given the assurance that the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, Luther is going to read this as it is a, a key uh, of the kingdom of heaven to be able to make confession of who Christ is. That's what unlocks heaven. If you can say who Jesus is, that he is your savior, that unlocks the grace of God. Now, what the Pope is saying when he reads that that particular uh, uh, verse in the Bible is he's saying that he has the power to, to loose and to free sin. Right. And, and so, but, but what Luther is saying in this discussion is Luther says, well, wait a second now. The, the, the Pope sees the authority to have uh, indulgences. And Luther says, well, wait a second now. Christ said you have the power to loose and to bind. That's, but what you're doing is transferring. This is, so the, the Luther points out. This isn't a matter of where you can transfer Christ's good works from point A to point B. That's not what's happening. You're loosing. You're declaring the, that that this person, is, that through the work of Jesus Christ, that your sins are forgiven. But the what the Pope is doing is he's doing a transfer of good works from, from Jesus Christ to this person. And so Luther has, says, you know, this is this is a poor use of this is this is this is not accurate according to the biblical witness. So that question about loosing versus transferring, but it's not only the loosing and transferring, but it's also a concerning of the primacy of the pope. Uh, Luther is going to point out that even other brother bishops didn't name the pope as primary till much later in the life of the church. So right. pope here. Uh, in the proceedings at Augsburg, as Luther is recalling the conversation he's having with Cajetan, he is understanding. Luther is quite aware of what he's doing. He is critiquing the primacy of the Pope. Right. Now, the second the second thing that Luther goes after, after and this is just from my reading of the, the, uh, the, the primary documentation, was that he was concerned that people were give, being given the credits for Christ's suffering 
and that they would use this to try to avoid their own suffering. And, and what Luther sees when, when we look at, when Luther looks at suffering, he sees that as the wholesome suffering. If you go back to the Heidelberg disputation, he sees that this is, this is part of the, the wholesome suffering that is part of our alienness in this world. That as we, as we are part of Christ, we become aliens in this world and we are going to suffer for that alienness. And what he sees in the whole indulgence controversy is people trying to sidestep that suffering by saying, oh, give me this indulgence and then I'm okay. Yeah, so the notion that I can embrace the, the work of Christ as my own work and so therefore I don't have to suffer right. is not what's going on here. And in fact, as I embrace the work of Christ, as I trust the work of Christ, I will be more and more a stranger in this world and I will experience suffering in this world. Right, right. And so Luther is sort of looking at this and he's saying that this is, this is a dangerous, dangerous, what it does to, and what, what we're going to see as Luther develops this theology is he's always concerned about how this translates to the common man. And what he sees is that this is something that's very dangerous to the way the common man looks at his lot and his, his suffering that he's going to go through. Every, every individual person. So if indulgences you are used as an attempt to avoid the punishments and crosses associated with being a Christian, then this is a dangerous sidestep to what is really inherent in being a Christian. As we embrace and trust in Christ as our salvation, we will continue to experience suffering in this world. Right. So Luther in the 58th Theses is attacking the treasury of the merits of the saints and how the treasury of Christ is being used by the Pope. So, so let's let's take a minute and talk a little bit about Cajetan's view on, on the 58 Theses. So Cajetan believes that there is a treasury of merit. Uh, he will reference a Catholic canon law, law called Unigentius, which is a doctrine that oh, was developed... Got over, a drink. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. This this uh, episode, I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of drinking. So Unigentius, <laughs> uh, from a document, uh, official canon law, the Extravagante, um, the Extravagante is a, an appendix to canon law. Uh, canon law, what is that, Mike? Well, canon law are the laws of the church. And that's the agreed upon, and the, the Catholic Church has canon law today. These are the agreed upon rules of, the, of how the church runs. And it would be in the canon law that you would find the exact rules around indulgences. And so, you know, now the interesting thing about the canon law in 1518 was specifically with indulgences is that the, the, the documentation about indulgences is not in the standard part of the canon law. So if you ordered from your local bookstore the canon law, you might not get these extra pages. Right. That's the in the appendix. The, the extravagante, which I've oh, got to drink yeah. again. But the, the, so, so you'd have the, that, that would be in the appendix to so, the canon law. So the intravagante, which is the Holy included cow. pages. That's right. He's emptying his beer, folks. Um, but now, so what Luther says is the merits of Christ are not a treasure of indulgences because the merits of Christ work grace without the Pope. We would have, the merits of Christ, whether there was a Pope or not. 
Right. And the treasury of indulgences, they were kind of built up over a period uh, of these 150 years from the Unigentius being authored uh, and then coming into play with this conversation with Cajetan and Luther is more that the treasury of Christ in this treasury of indulgences can be distributed by the Pope according to his will and desire. Right, right. So, so this is sort of, you know, the, the 58 theses. I think, you know, we've pretty much covered that. Um, it's, uh, it's obviously one of the critical areas when it comes to the 95 theses. That 58th theses is going to be absolutely critical in the battle between, uh, Cajetan and Luther. But there was another one, right? That was, that was also real. There was a lot of discussion around this, the, uh, uh, what is it? The seventh thesis? Yeah. So the seventh thesis, which speaks about how God forgives sin. Now, the question with forgiveness is when is forgiveness delivered? How do you know your sins are forgiven? Now, Mike, how do you know your sins are forgiven? My, my sins are forgiven by Christ, but I know it by the declaration of the forgiveness of sins by my, by my pastor during the brief order of confession, for example. There's, there are, I, I know it because I, I have faith in Jesus Christ. Yeah, so God forgives us our guilt because of faith in Christ. Right. Your forgiveness is not dependent on your submissiveness to a priest. True. You, your forgiveness is completely dependent on whether you have faith and trust in Christ. And if I believe those words that are said by the by the pastor, you know that my that you know I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ that your sins are forgiven. And if I believe that, that's that faith, right? Yes. So the seventh thesis is looking at that question of the role of faith in forgiveness. Right. And Luther says that this is where faith comes in. If a, fir- a person believes in Christ's declaration, as would be proclaimed by a priest, whatever is loosed on earth is, is loosed in heaven, that person will know that their sins are forgiven. If a person does not have faith, then they will not believe the declaration and will be left there in their sin. Right. So forgiveness is not worked by the authority of the priest. Forgiveness is worked by the authority of Christ, which is distributed through the priest. Right. And it's and it comes down, in, in Luther's mind, it comes down to the faith of the individual to believe those words when the priest declares them. Now, now Cajetan actually has a problem with that. Right. Because now the indulgences could be distributed um, and someone could buy an indulgence and whether they have faith or not, they were receiving a, a plenary forgiveness of their work. Right. Right. Uh, and, and of so, their evil works. And what, we, what we've got here is what Cajetan is saying is that, you know, that, gee, that's, that's a heavy burden. It's funny how this works because Cajetan starts maneuvering to say that this is going to be a burden on the believer. By that, requiring faith for forgiveness, Cajetan believes that places a burden on the person. And, well, it does, I suppose, in that it asks them to be a believer. And but, he, but he thinks that... Boy, it would be so much better if they have good works that they can hold on to. And they can say, hey, look what I did. These are concrete things that I've done. And, and so they're, what Cajetan, Cajetan's argument is that, that really this is a comfort, that good works are a comfort to the believer rather than relying on faith. And 
it is very understandable when someone is trying to say keep score in a baseball game it makes more sense to figure out who won the game by how many people crossed home plate right in the same sense if i want to know if i am in good graces with Christ, to say, well, what have I done this week? Kajetan is saying, look at the concrete things that we can point a weak person to and say, you've done this, you've done that. What a good person you are. And how helpful that would be to a believer to be able to point them to the concrete things they do. But Luther through his own experience of being a pastor, recognizes the incredible danger of pointing a person to their own good works for comfort. Because have you ever done enough? Well, and that actually gets into, actually, there are two problems Luther has. First one is what what Evan just mentioned, which is that Luther himself, when he was, uh, you know, before he stumbled on his, on his evangelical theology, he was personally always wondering, am I doing enough? Am I doing enough? Am I doing... To the point where he would sit with Stalpitz for hours giving a confession of, I did this and I thought that and I felt this and I felt that. It was it was torturous for Luther. And, and so for him, he imagines, and he I think rightly so, that it is a burden for the for the individual to rely on their good works. And the second thing was that there's nothing in Scripture right. to encourage someone to rely on their good works for salvation. Right. So right. Luther never thought the seventh thesis was going to be controversial. He realized that there was not going to be any points where they could agree. So now after focusing on the 58th thesis, which is an attack on the treasury of merit, and focusing on the seventh thesis, which is a flip between good works or faith, Luther they asked to stop the discussion so he could deliberate for a day. Right, right. The so, next day, what happens? Well, what happens is when when Luther returns, Cajetan immediately wants to start talking about the 58th Theses again. We can't leave this unsettled. We got to figure out, is there a treasury of merit or not? I mean, that's what Cajetan is trying to figure out. Right, right. And what Luther offers is a written, basically a written answer. So Cajetan says, okay, I'll take a written answer. And so, so they, they split up again. And, and Luther's going to try to provide a written answer. But somewhere along the line, Cajetan has also made a call to Stalpitz, who rushes to Augsburg on, August, uh, on October 12th to try to fix things. Now, Stalpitz is Luther's friend. He's the father confessor. He is the mentor uh, to Luther. So Cajetan calls upon Stalpitz to, to get Luther to work with the program. Get 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 along here, man. Right, right. And so he says, you know, Stalpitz comes to Luther and begs him to to revoke his his position. Now, and this is really, you know, the thought all, all along. If you Lutherans could just be quiet for a little while, we'd get back to getting along. But Luther, he's not going to recant. He's not going to refuse because he hasn't been proven by Scripture where he has erred. Things continue to unravel over the next few days. Stalpitz recognizes where all this is going, and he releases Luther from his monastic vows. Now, why does he release Luther from his monastic vows, Mike? Well, a couple of things. First of all, he's he's partly trying to keep the Augustinian order from being disgraced if Luther is condemned. Everybody recognizes that Luther is playing with literally fire. You know, the uh, it wasn't that long ago, maybe a hundred years before, uh, John Huss was was burned at the stake. Everybody recognizes that this is a very dangerous game that Luther is playing, and Stalpitz wants to keep the Augustinian order 
in good standing with in the Catholic Church. And then Stopitz also thinks that maybe Luther is not being as open with his statements out of a desire to keep scandal away from the Augustinian order. And so by releasing Luther from his monastic vows, he keeps the Augustinian order away from the disgraces that are surrounding Luther, but he also gives freedom to Luther to say what he wants. He's no longer burdened by his vows of obedience to the Augustinian order. Right. And so things now after Staupitz releases Luther from his Augustinian vows, shortly after that, Staupitz and Link. Link was the the other lawyer that was sent by Frederick the Wise to help Luther through this whole process. Both of them run out of town. They, they re- leave Augsburg. There, things are are deadly at this moment. They believe that since Cajetan's mission to get Luther to to recant and to be quiet hasn't worked, that now arrests are going to come. Never mind the fact that they did get letters of protection. They think that those are just going to get thrown out. Right. Luther waits a few extra days, then writes a letter to Cajetan saying goodbye. Right. And, right. And leaves. Now, Cajetan, when he gets this letter, let's take a step back. The reason Link and Stalpitz left was they went to talk to Cajetan. And Cajetan mentions to them that, hey, you know, Luther had his written response to the, you know, to to our discussion. Uh, and in that written response, Luther asked for the, to, he appealed to the Pope. And so Cajetan does what Luther says. He sends the letter off to the Pope, but in an express. You know, and he says, we're going to sit here until we hear back from the Pope. Link and Staupitz both recognize that if it comes back against them, if the Pope's answer comes back against them, they could all end up in jail. And so they, they don't want to have any part of that. So they, they, they skedaddle. Do you think Luther's naive when he appeals to the Pope and hopes that there will, this appeal to the Pope will bring about some graceful resolution? Or is he just waiting? Or is he trying to give submissiveness to the Pope? What does Luther expect? I, I personally, uh, you know, it's it's difficult to see what's going on in Luther's head right now. But the fact that he stayed a few extra days sort of leads me to believe that he really thought that the Pope was going to come out on his side in the end in all this. Maybe this is a sign that he still has some faith that the, the Holy Spirit will be at work in the church, bringing about the light of the, the gospel. And that along the way, um, through this failure and failures along the way, Luther comes to the conclusion that the church itself as a human institution is as flawed as anything else. And that the only thing we can really rely on is not the church, but is the scriptures. Right. Now, Luther actually is not, I don't know, because I don't know that he's quite to that point yet. Because yeah. he he's doesn't not ready to just throw away the church. He's he? not, you know, it's not until 1520. Here we are, in, this is 1518 still. And Luther, it's not until 1520 that Luther really turns against the church, against the Roman Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. So in this period right now, he's still sort of, he's hoping things are going to work out. But he realizes, obviously, realizes that things aren't going well. And he sneaks out. And so in the morning, he, he uh, early in the morning before the sun rises, he takes off also and leaving that letter for Cajetan. So Cajetan is furious that Luther has left. Uh, Frederick the Wise continues to try to have negotiations with Cajetan to try to work things out. As Luther goes back to Wittenberg, he writes up his thoughts, uh, the proceedings at w- Augsburg. He has it published. And 
Frederick the Wise finds out Luther has published the account of the proceedings, and he tries to stop it. Right, because he, like we just mentioned, or like Evan just mentioned, he's in negotiations. He's still trying to work through this, and and anything that's released is liable to screw up those negotiations. So Luther agrees to have some of the sections of the proceedings to be blacked out during the time of the negotiations. So for the time being, this is where we stand. Luther goes back to Wittenberg and continues to care for his parish. But the lines are getting drawn. The Roman Catholic Church believes they have the authority independent of Scripture to hold on to the treasury of indulgences. At this point, that question, is the treasury of merit from that extravagante, the unigentius, this appendix, Is it an open question? Is it something that can be debated in the church or is it fixed canon law? Luther thought it was an open question and that really we could go back to scripture to figure it out. Cajetan says, nope, it's fixed. There's nothing to talk about. Um, Luther in every debate says, let's look at what the scriptures say. And others want to say, well, let's look at what works in the church. Right, right. And so, so this is where we're at and things actually say, you know, after this, this, discussion with Cajetan, things really sort of take a break for about a year. So our next podcast is going to not as much focus on this conflict between Rome and Germany. So the Game of Thrones episodes are going to take a little pause and we're going to look more at the pastoral experience of Luther and and what he does as a professor and as a pastor to care for his people. What's fascinating about that and this next part that we're going to be talking about is out of those, the, the work that he does... Uh, there's really a total reordering. He begins the process of reordering both the church and society. And those those changes that Luther proposes and makes in Germany in the 1500s continue to, to reverberate through today. So this is that's that's going to be not as much political uh, you know gamesmanship, but it's certainly fascinating. So our Game of Thrones episodes will sign off for a little while, but we'll get back to them. We want to thank uh, Josh. uh, Our our sound guy. There he is over there. And then we have uh, thanks again to St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamburg, Michigan for all their support. And then Kurt Allen's book on Martin Luther's 95 Thesis is helpful. Uh, Bible Truth Publishers have a good article on the 1518 Augsburg Proceedings. Uh, some explanations about canon law can be found at the Vatican website. Yeah, I really actually they have a great you know they they have a great website there for finding stuff on the canon law, and they actually list all the canon laws that are in uh, in place today. So real good stuff there. Uh, if you want to contact us, you can give us a, shoot us an email at uh, graceontap all one word dot podcast at gmail dot com. And the website for these podcasts is graceontap podcast dot com. Have a great day. Cheers. Prost.